So last week, as we were looking at uh, Colossians 1, we wrapped up. uh, Paul was mentioning a little bit about his ministry to the church. He talked about how he is filling up in what is lacking in Christ's afflictions there. And we said that that, uh, what is being communicated there is not so much that Paul feels that Christ's work upon the cross is insufficient, but rather that there's a lack of knowledge about what Christ has done. And so he communicates, or he, he, he connects that with uh, his suffering for your sake, and, and he connects that um, in uh, verse 25 with his stewardship. He's the steward of the gospel, steward of the, the word of God, and he says his job is to make the word of God fully known. And so we see that kind of traced out there for us. Um, and he says that there's this, this great mystery that's been hidden for the, for the ages. It's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he says that, he goes on in, in verse 28, or uh, 20, yeah, 28, to say, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so that is Paul's goal, to present everyone fully mature in Christ, and he does it through warning and teaching. And this morning, uh, Paul will kind of shift. He's going to continue into this new paragraph, uh, talking a, a little bit more about his, his ministry. But he, he, um, he zooms in a little bit. He, he focuses in a little bit to talk about uh, this threat that uh, the Colossians are facing. Later in chapter 2, he is going, we're going to look a little bit at, uh, at a more detailed section of the types of things that were being uh, taught to the Colossians that they were tempted to believe. But here Paul, he, he prays for them. He, he is concerned about them. And he, he mentions three kind of things that we want to look at this morning. The first thing that he, he's going to mention in, uh, in verse 1 uh, through uh, verse 2, the, the kind of first half of verse 2, we'll call it 2a, uh, is he, he has this prayer and this desire for unity for the church. He, he wants to see unity take place in the church. And then in verses uh, 2 through uh, 3, he prays understanding for God's children. He wants them to, to, to come to a place, as he said in the end of chapter 1 there, that they would be presented fully mature, that there's Christ in, in them, the hope of glory. And so he wants them to, to have understanding for, uh, for the children of God. And then third, he wants to see them safeguarded from harm. He, he, he wraps this up in verses 4 and 5, talking about this, this safeguard, the, you know, the reason for his warning, the purpose for that. So we'll look at that in those three, par- three parts, unity for the church, understanding for God's children, and safeguarded from harm. So those are the three things we're going to look at. So first, unity for the church. Paul communicates. He, he uh, lets them know how much he loves them and cares about them. He's not indifferent towards them, but in verse 1, we see the type of care and love that he puts forward towards these believers. He says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So the first thing we'll note there is he's talking to three groups. He's talking to three groups. He says, I have, I have this concern, this struggle for you, 
for those at Laodicea, which is a city, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So three groups are, are the, the people that Paul is concerned about here. There's the Colossians that he's writing to, the Laodiceans, and then uh, this third group, all who have not seen me face to face, is, uh, you know, he's saying anybody that I haven't met personally. There's people that I've sown into that ministry, you, uh, you know, churches that have been planted as the result of his missionary journeys. And there's plenty of people who haven't met him, but he's concerned, he's, he's praying into, he's struggling for these three groups. And so he, he writes about uh, the Colossians. We kind of know their history here. Uh, the, the Laodiceans, Laodicea was a, an important city on uh, the trade route that um, was just uh, 12 miles away from Colossae, and uh, it has housed a, a, a larger Jewish population. And uh, that church in Laodicea was also most likely planted by Epaphras, the same man who uh, was the result of Paul's ministry and who planted this Colossian church. And so these two cities, uh, you know, sister cities who were uh, under this kind of same spiritual, uh, you know, family tree connected to Paul. Paul hasn't seen the Colossians in person. He hasn't been there. He hasn't visited them. And, and so the Laodiceans uh, are mentioned, and it's interesting that they're mentioned here because they were ones who are warned in the book of Revelation about ones who uh, have this kind of spiritual lethargy. They're kind of compromised. They're, you know, uh, Jesus writes to them in, in the book of Revelation, and he says, he says, I know who you guys are. I know that you're not hot and you're not cold, and I wish that you would be either. You know, I, I wish that you would come down on one side, but they're kind of indifferent. They've given place to uh, you know, different false teachings. Jesus says to them specifically in Revelation 3.17, this is what they think about themselves. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so there's, uh, you know, Jesus writes to the Laodiceans, and there's something noteworthy that, you know, they're kind of mentioned here because they're kind of facing a similar situation where they're tempted to, to believe all these things. They're tempted to feel like we're okay. We're good where we're at. We don't need to continue pursuing Christ. And, and Jesus is counseled to them. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. So, so, uh, there's this word of, of uh, rebuke and call to repentance there in Revelation that we see surrounding uh, the Laodicean church. And so here we have Paul's letter. He's writing, and he says, I want you to know, Colossians, I want you to know of how great a struggle uh, you know, that I go through for you. The lack of unity that exists within the Colossian church is troublesome to Paul, and so he's, he struggles uh, around them. He struggles for them. And when it talks about uh, him struggling, the word there is a, it's a great conflict. It's where we get our word agony from uh, that, that is related. So he's, he's not just kind of indifferent, but like there's something that he's thinking about. It's, it's kind of like this you know, that churning feeling in your stomach where you feel like something's really going bad and you really uh, invest a lot of care into it. Paul feels that way towards uh, these believers. And so 
uh, we know that Paul writes from prison, so he couldn't really struggle in the flesh with them, but he struggles most likely, uh, you know, and we know specifically from some of the other books that he does this in prayer. He's investing and laboring in prayer over the Colossian believers. It was diff- difficult work. It's not just easy to pray. It, it's, it's an easy thing to desire and to attempt, but once you get there, it's hard to pursue uh, in prayer. Now, Paul is laboring in prayer for these believers. It's difficult work. He, he has this concern for others. And he's investing a lot of time into that. And I think Paul's model for us in praying for the Colossians, even though he doesn't know them personally, he hasn't seen them face to face, they're the result of his ministry, uh, I think it's a great model that we need to consider today. You know, we have to ask ourselves, do we, do we strive and labor uh, for others? Do we, do we care and, and um, invest time in prayer on the behalf of others? And I think uh, when we do that, there's great blessing that comes along with that. It's hard to think outside of ourselves, but that's something that Paul models for us beautifully. It's something that even we see uh, extended to uh, the disciples, uh, something that that they cared about and they wanted to know about. In in John, um, or excuse me, in Luke 11, uh, they're there with Jesus, and and uh, they they ask Jesus, you know for something specifically. And if you had the opportunity to ask Jesus, you know, something specifically, the disciples were with Jesus for three years and they're hanging out with him. You know, there's anything they could have asked him. They could have said, Lord, it would be awesome if you could teach us how to take our tax money out of the fish's mouth so that we could pay our taxes. That'd be awesome. You don't have to worry about it. Be like, every time, you know, every time April rolls around and you owe money, you're like, well, I'm going to go fishing. Every single, it'd be great be brilliant, or to, you know, turn water into wine. There's lots of cool, you know, tricks that, like, were kind of seemingly, like, awesome. But the disciples in Luke 11, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They never said, show us how to, you know, show us how to turn water into wine, or show us how to get this tax money, or, you know, show us how you called Lazarus forth from the dead. They never asked that. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the disciples, they saw that the ministry of Jesus was, was closely tied. It was intimately related to his time in prayer, his reliance upon the Father. And so we see that with Paul here. Paul can't be with them. He cares deeply about the gospel. And he doesn't do nothing, but he labors in prayer. He struggles in prayer. Now in verse 2, Paul tells us the reason why he's calling uh, their attention to his struggles right? It's, it's one thing to communicate that through love and to say, hey, like, I really care about you guys, and, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm struggling, but here's the reason why he says this in verse 2. He says, it is that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Paul wants them to know that he, he, he believes that if they understand how much he cares about them, how much he loves them, how much he, he is spending time in prayer for them. He wants them to know that, if, the, that uh, if they see how much he's suffering for them in prayer, struggling for them, that they will in turn be encouraged and they would be strengthened in their faith. Paul knows that they need to, to hear this and to understand that so that way they can 
feel energized and keep going. And I know exactly what this is like because many of you guys have encouraged me. Many of you guys have, have uh, strengthened me in my own ministry as, as I'm going places or, or you know, going to speak somewhere or showing up here on Sunday mornings, whether you know, it's a phone call or a text or telling me in person. You know, like we believe, we're encouraged, we see what the faithfulness, you know, like there's nothing like that. And then it's kind of like this, this spiritual boost where like you get pushed and you're like, all right, we're, we're going to head on. You know, we just got back from, from that retreat in, uh, in Monterey, and uh, we spent time down there with uh, seven couples who were also church planters of different lengths. And, and um, at that church, Monterey specifically, we, they were the ones who, who believed in us to begin with. They were the ones who, like, you know, I had known, uh, known Pastor Nate for a while, and uh, but I hadn't known any of the other pastoral staff um, down there. But they were the ones who, like, I went down there. Nate invited me down for the day, you know, four years ago or three years ago. And uh, he invited me down there for the day to meet them and hang out with them and kind of check check things out. And I got to sit through their staff meeting with all their staff and <clears throat> their elders meeting and, you know, just kind of experience what everything was like. And, you know, then I got to share with the elders, like, hey, you know, Nate's like, hey, share what's going on. And so uh, I was kind of sharing with them, here's what we want to do. And, you know, we just, we want to see people meet Jesus and, and we want to be faithful and we don't know what that looks like, but we want to go. We feel God's called us to do it. And, you know, here's how everything is. And we want to just create, like, we want to build relationships with people in our church and we want them to be family and stuff. And, you know, just be able to share that. And then, you know, to come at the end of the day, like, you know, these other pastors who, like, I didn't even know, like, gave us a check and said, like, we believe that you can do it, and we believe it's going to be awesome, and we're going to stand behind you, and, like, here's money, like, that you need to get started. Go for it. And I was like, they believe in us. Like, it was, like, so exciting, you know, to, like, be encouraged, like, okay, I'm not just crazy. Like, other people, they see the burden, they see the call, and, like, they're excited about it, and, and they put their money where their mouth is after, like, barely, you know, the other pastors barely knowing us. And I was, like, so encouraged, but they have been faithful again and again to just follow up, and so, you know, they put our face up on the screen, and they pray for us from the stage, and so when I go down there for the conference, like, people around the church, they know who I am. They're like, hey, how's it going? We're praying for you. Like, there's nothing like that energy boost to, like, to feel that of, like, you're walking around as, you know, being recognized and, like, people are, like, wondering, how's the work going? You know, we're always praying for you. And, you know, we, we stayed with this family and they're like, oh, yeah, we've been praying for you, too. It's just, like, so bizarre to hear that. And, and to, to sit down with, with their pastoral staff, you know, on the last night we kind of gathered around and every couple kind of got prayed for. But to kind of hear, uh, you know, Monterey staff be like, we believe in you. We know what you're doing is a great thing. And, you know, many of you guys have encouraged us similarly. And, and that's what Paul's doing for the Colossians here. He's like, guys, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened in your faith. I'm praying for you. I know what God is doing here is an important thing. And he says he wants them to be encouraged in their hearts. Now, in, in modern English, as we kind of talked about this on Friday, how different words mean different things, when we talk about being encouraged in our hearts, uh, you know, we kind of relate that real specifically to, to mean, like, you know, encouraged in your emotions. Like, you know, we want you to, to go from being uh, 
you know, it's, it's kind of, when we read that as Americans, we kind of read it as like, here's some cool stuff, turn that frown upside down, you know, like, like change your attitude. But the biblical language regarding heart is talking about the center of your personality. It's, uh, it's defined, uh, one of the lexical definitions is the source of willing and thinking. You know, it's, it's your, the center of your personality in addition to feeling. So it's not only emotions, it's the source of willing and thinking. Paul wants them to be changed and transformed. He wants them to be encouraged, not just in their emotions, but in the the depth of their personality, in who they are. He wants his encouragement to reach the deepest part of our being, and that would affect every single aspect of our lives, of our personality, of who we are. He wants this to go deep. Now, he, 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 um, communicates further, and he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And I love that phrase, being knit together in love, because Paul hopes that in hearing this, in hearing that people care about you, that they pray for you, that they want your ministry to succeed, they see what you're doing is valid, they want you to be faithful to it, he hopes that as they hear this, not only would they be encouraged in their hearts personally, but that as they're encouraged personally, that they would have greater unity, that they would be uh, knit together in love more specifically, that their hearts would, would be drawn together to his heart. In the same way that, like, you know, we're kind of knit together with Monterey. When you guys, when, you know, when Nate comes here and speaks or, you know, when you guys are like Facebook friends or Instagram friends, like we have this camaraderie. We're like, we care about them and they care about us. We're like the family. And so in that sense, Paul wants to see this, uh, see this happen within the Colossian church. He wants uh, these, uh, this, these struggles that he's communicating, not just to, to be warm, fuzzy feelings, but to be effective for encouragement in their hearts and also to bring greater unity, knit together in love. Now, later in chapter 3, Paul will kind of uh, re-emphasize this. In chapter 3, verse 14, he says this, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it's that knitting together in love, that, that laboring together. When we see Jesus as he is, when we are encouraged in the Holy Spirit, in, in uh, the ministry that God has called us to, it calls our, uh, us to be, to be bound together in that love. Now, Paul doesn't only want them to have this love, but he wants them to have uh, some understanding. So the second thing that he prays for them, aside from unity, and this flows out of this unity, is understanding for God's children. So in verse 2, he goes on, And he says, uh, he prays that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul prays understanding for the Colossians. And we're more united when we have understanding, right? That's kind of like when we all know the plan, and that's kind of how it always is. As kids, you know, Mike. Elliot's always like, where are we going? What are we doing? That's how I was when I was a kid. My mom's like, I got to go run out and do some errands. And I'm like, I'm basically going to be a pain in your side the whole day unless you tell me exactly where we're going. I need my expectations set. I want to know what's happening here. You know, what's going on? How long are we going to be there? Do I have to sit in the car? Can I like run around in the store by myself and just meet you at the front when you're done? I want to know everything that there is to know. I want to know the plan so that way I can get along in the plan. 
And, and that's kind of what we think of when we think of understanding. But Paul lays it out a different way. He lays out his prayer for the Colossians in kind of this long run-on sentence, this long, uh, you know, um, you know, Paul's like, he's like a grammar nightmare. And so he, he lays this out in a highlight reel of like who Jesus is. He, he's, he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus alone is the source. He is the end result of every bit of spiritual knowledge and understanding worth having. So he goes on and he says that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul tells us that full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery is Christ. So he prays understanding for the the Colossians, but he doesn't pray that they would understand God's plan. He prays that they would understand God's mystery. He prays that they would have understanding around this knowledge of God's mystery, that they would know. Now, as we saw uh, just a couple verses earlier in uh, chapter 1, and here in our text this morning, we see that God's mystery is Christ. So if you want to know the mystery of God, know Christ. If you want understanding, if you want knowledge, if you want to know the plan, know Jesus. So he's not saying, here's the plan, here's everything that you ever need to know. He's saying that you'll have everything that you need to know if you know Jesus. But a lot of times, we treat that that that's not enough. We'll know Jesus, but then I also want to know how the rest of my life is going to go. What, is all, what, what does God have in front of me? But Paul says, everything that you need to know is found in Christ. And that's the temptation that these uh, Colossians are facing. They're, they're facing the, these false teachers who are proclaiming these spiritual secrets. Like, you know, there's other things that you can know. There's more that there is to know in addition to Jesus. And so if you want to know, if you want to go to a higher level spiritually, if you want to rise in the ranks, you know, come and hear the secret. And Paul says, there's not another secret. You know Jesus. And, and I love how he paints that picture in chapter one, uh, uh, that Jesus is the one that is the firstborn of all creation, the one for, uh, by whom all things are made and they exist for him. You know, he, they're, they're held together through him. And so he's the one that plans all things. He's the one that instructs all things. And so if you want to know the future, you want to know how things are going, know Jesus because he's the one who controls all of that. He's the one who is the firstborn from the dead. He's the, the resurrection and the life. And so Paul points to Jesus. He says, understanding for God's children isn't about understanding the plan. It's about understanding the mystery of God, which is Christ. And then he goes on uh, in, in verse 3 to make his kind of main point. He, he's, he's emphasizing, uh, this is kind of his main point of the letter even. He's emphasizing everything that they need is found in Jesus. He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus, Christ is the one in whom uh, are found all that we would ever need, all that you and I would need in order to understand how we ought to live in this life and to please God, right? Everything that we need, as we had in our last series, for life and godliness is found in Jesus. Everything that we need 
is found in Jesus. Now, they're facing these false teachers, these, uh, you know, um, they're described in a couple different places. Some people believe that they're these uh, ascetics. Some people believe that they're Gnostics, and they certainly have Gnostic tendencies in the sense that Gnostic uh, is, is someone, uh, it means to know, and so there's these people who are communicating that there's more to be known, but Paul explains that there's not anything else to be known by communicating who Jesus is. He says, in him, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He describes Jesus as a treasure, and he does it through knowledge and wisdom. When we talk about knowledge, we we talk about it, or we understand knowledge, it's, you know, an intellectual focus. It's book smarts. It's, we're reading, we have data, we're collecting information, you know, as we're gaining knowledge in something. But there's a reason why in a lot of our classes at, uh, at different universities, at trade schools, you know, um, in, uh, in the military, there's a reason why you read the book, you hear a lecture, but then you also have a lab. Then you've got to go and do it. You've got to figure it out. You know, there's, they don't ever, like, have a situation where you're in, uh, you know, you're in training to be a part of the bomb squad, but you don't ever, like, practice. You just read the, oh, I read the book. You know, if that was the case, the bomb squads would be like looking it up on YouTube, like at that moment to be like, okay, how do we do this? You know, this is not the case. It, there's the two together. There's an intellectual focus on the knowledge side. So that's found in Jesus. Everything that you would want to know uh, about is found in Jesus. And then there's the wisdom. It's the practical knowledge, the ability to understand uh, from God's perspective, how he is applying that knowledge and then to act on that knowledge. And so Paul says all of this is found within Jesus. And he says, look to Jesus as the only spot, the only place where you're going to find this treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge. You're only going to find this in him. And he says that these things are hidden in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you know, not like we're hiding a treasure chest here. It doesn't mean that it's been concealed or, uh, you know, that it's been hidden away um, in a place where it would, for, for the purpose of keeping it from people, but rather it's deposited or stored up. These, these uh, treasures, these, this knowledge and wisdom that's hidden in Christ are hidden in the sense that they are found in him. They're, they're stored in him. And so anyone who comes to faith in Jesus, anyone who walks with Jesus by faith can come to him and take from that store everything that he has. All wisdom, all knowledge is found in him. And we can come to him and receive from him. So that understanding that we would want and that Paul prays for God's children is found in knowing and enjoying Jesus. Now, the third thing that he prays, and the third point that Paul wants to make, is that they ought to be safeguarded from harm. So, in verse 4, Paul goes on, and, and uh, he communicates his heart. The, the theology of Paul, the, the gospel that he has shared with the Colossians, it has a purpose to it. it has a, he, he has a reason for saying it. He proclaims this theology, this gospel, this doctrine, to keep believers being deceived by plausible arguments. Look at what he says in verse 4. I say this 
in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So Paul's not just rambling for no reason. He has a purpose, a meaning. This is very similar to what he does in 1 Corinthians 15. If you read that, you know, we kind of gloss over it real quick, but it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then he just goes on to preach the gospel, like through chapter... 15 of 1 Corinthians. He starts off there saying, I would remind you, brothers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's saying, Christians, you need to hear the gospel. You need to return to this. And he says, uh, and I love how he describes it, which, you, which I've preached to you, it came out of his mouth, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. There's like all these states that exist. It's not, I heard it, all right, great, I'm in, good, now I can forget it but rather it's an active return to the gospel. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul shares this sound doctrine. He shares this warning, the proclamation of the gospel, to safeguard the Colossians. Because the Gnostics, these, these false teachers, were boasting of an understanding that was surpassing what was found in Scripture And so Paul comes back and says, everything that you need, everything that you could want is found in Christ. His response to safeguarding is not only just to say, don't do that, but to present a better alternative, to present a complete alternative, right? It's a lot of times how, how if you, if you want to, if you want to work with, uh, you know, kids to give up something, you got to give them something else. You're teaching them to share. You're like, that's not good for you. Let me give you something that is good for you. That's how Jesus describes uh, the casting out of this demon in, uh, in the Gospels, where he says, he says what good is it if a, if a man is bound up and you bind up the strong man and he is cast out, but then the house is left empty? You know, you need to fill it with something else. Fill it with the Holy Spirit. If you don't fill it with the Holy Spirit, then that that strong man's going to return and take over. So it's not just, it's not just get rid of something bad and ignore it, or it's not just a warning, but it's being saved from and saved to. Here, Paul's saying the false teaching is incorrect, but look at how complete, how faithful, how beautiful Jesus is. And so Paul elaborates why he thinks it's important for him Uh, to issue these warnings. In verse 5, he says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul, he's pumped on the Colossians. He is so excited and so stoked about what they've done in their faithfulness. And he says that he's doing this because this is a part of his call, of his ministry. In uh, chapter 1, verse 25, he says that he is a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to make known, uh, to make the word of God fully known. He says, guys, this is my job. The reason that I'm saying this is because God has called me to this, to this stewardship over you. And he says, I'm not with you in, in body, but I'm with you in spirit. 
I'm with you. I'm alongside you. I'm struggling with you. Now, when, when Paul says he's, not with, uh, he's with them in spirit, uh, he's not just talking about... Um, he's talking about his human spirit in the sense that he's with them in, in, uh, in thinking about them, praying, praying for them. But he's also uh, showing solidarity in unity in the spirit of God. So there's a kind of a dual effect there. He's with them. His presence uh, with the Colossians isn't just like, hey, you're going to be in my thoughts and prayers. Like, you know, but he's also, the way that he says that, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm with you in spirit. We are one unit. There's a, he, he's communicating a sense of, of identity that is brought together by one Lord, one faith, one spirit, one baptism. Like, I'm with you. Stick to the plan. Stick to the proclamation of the gospel. And he, he's, he's, this is a warning to them. Okay, there's a difference between, um, one commentator described it uh, beautifully. He said that this is more of uh, a vaccination than a treatment. Paul's kind of interjecting this warning to them as like, hey, I'm giving this to you so that way I don't have to come back to you like the Galatians and just full-on rebuke you and say, you know, oh foolish Galatians, you idiots, who has bewitched you? Who has, who has redirected you? How have you guys dropped the ball? For, for the Colossians, he's pumped on them. They've been faithful. And that's what he says there. He's, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul, see, he, he sees what's happening in them, and he's, he's pumped. He, it's accompanied by rejoicing. And he sees two things, their order and their firmness. So order and firmness are both military terms. And when it talks about um, an order, it's talking about an orderly uh, array of soldiers, a ranking that takes place, uh, or not a ranking, but an assembly where uh, they would be structured into uh, their different units. And uh, Paul, kind of like a general, would be able to, to walk by and, and to survey all of the troops. You guys are in order and you are firm. You know, that, the word there means to, to make solid. He says, you guys are presenting a solid front. He's like, I can see what's happening here, and I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm so encouraged by what I see. But he gives them this warning. And the reason is because the Colossians, they started well, and they're continuing well, but it's the future that he's concerned about. So he's wanting to, to simultaneously let them know that He's thankful. He's excited about their steadfast faith. He's rejoicing. He's encouraged at their faithfulness. But yet he wants to encourage them further. And so like Paul, we need to be encouraging each other in the faith. As he said, I rejoice to see the good order uh, and the firmness of your faith. Oftentimes we kind of only want to deal with each other uh, on the basis of like, you know, when there's a problem. No news is good news. But we want to celebrate in each other's lives how God is working. And it's been beautiful to kind of see that, you know, on, uh, on Friday nights in community group, you know, where we've been able to have different people share, like, here's what's going on in my life. I don't feel like I'm growing in this area. Or I feel like, you know, I feel like this is happening in my life. And like, everybody in the group's like, no, I testify that that is not true, that we see your growth, we see what's happening, we see how you've changed, and it's like so great. 
but we need to be encouraging each other, you know, when we see that growth, when we uh, exhort one another to like, wow, I've seen that you've really grown in this area, or the Lord's doing a good work in you. So keep going. Keep moving forward. Uh, I love uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 2, Paul sends Timothy, his protege, he sends his apprentice, and he calls him our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. And he sends him for this purpose to the Thess- Thessalonians, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. And so Timothy's not getting sent over there, you know, just to give them like this big rah-rah speech, like, hey, good job, guys. It's not just like self-esteem. Paul's not saying, you know, really pump each other up because we, we automatically don't think that we're awesome. Everybody thinks that they're awesome automatically, you know. But this encouragement is pointing each other to Christ, reminding each other that we are adopted, accepted, loved by Jesus, that we are, when we're faithful, we need to hear, like, you've been faithful, and that's awesome, and I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. That we need to hear that, you know, just as much as we need to hear you know, rebukes and, you know, calls to repentance. You know, th- those things of celebrating uh, and encouraging aren't just like, uh, they're not just, you know, kind of getting a, a, a little, you know, star on your chart or whatever, getting to get the sticker when you leave the dentist, like, good job, you made it through that difficult situation. But when we encourage one another, we're not only making note of growth in each other's lives, but we're making note of the faithfulness of Jesus in each other's lives. So growth happens. We encourage one another. But when what we're really celebrating is, isn't Jesus good? Look how faithful he is to, to move you through that season. Look how faithful he is to change you and transform you to be more like him. That's what Paul's getting at, and that's why he's rejoicing. Because he sees the growth in the Colossians. He sees that work that's being accomplished. And so he's laid down this beautiful framework before he gets into zooming in and hammering on, here are the things that you're going to be tempted to to be uh, persuaded by. A lot of sensationalism and, you know, the unsolved mysteries type thing. Here's, Here's the things that really you know, light up the internet chat rooms. It's kind of like what they're, what they're being attacked with. And so Paul says, keep going, keep moving forward. Jesus is good. Look at Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Um, he'll, you know, have unity in Christ, have understanding and full knowledge, full assurance based around the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and be safeguarded from harm because of the work of Christ that's elaborated upon in the gospel. We're protected from false teaching when we're rooted and grounded in the gospel. And so that's what Paul is calling, uh, calling Colossians to, calling us to this morning. So we're navigating through you know, a world where we're getting all these things thrown at us uh, similarly. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts as he worked in the Colossians. Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness to show us in your word uh, just these timeless attacks that we still experience today of false teaching, sensationalism, um, just 
spiritual talk, plausible arguments. Lord, the many things that are thrown our way, Lord, we we're thankful that you dealt with them through your word so long ago so that today we might be able to see how we could have unity in Christ, that we could um, have everything that we would need for knowledge and understanding in Jesus. Lord, you want to provide for us full understanding, full knowledge, and you've, you've done that through your Son. And so we want to get to know and enjoy Jesus more intimately. Lord, we're thankful that you have safeguarded us from harm through the work of the gospel, that we can see Jesus exalted, that we can see how complete and faithful your work at the cross is. And Lord, we want to celebrate that. And so call us to be people who encourage one another, who strengthen one another, who uh, push each other towards Jesus, celebrating your every movement in us, at your every work, Lord. As the psalmist said, uh, Lord, may your praise be continually upon our lips. Lord, we want that same thing to be said of us as we want to proclaim your praise faithfully and, and continually. Lord, we want to recognize that you are the one who is before all things and all things exist in you. Lord, you're the one who all things are created for. And so, Lord, we're, uh, we're thankful for that. We need your help by your Holy Spirit to be changed and transformed for your glory. We love you. Amen.